Welcome to Education Suspended, a podcast focused on exploring, engaging, and dialoguing with those in education who are passionate about changing the status quo and evolving the archaic system we have inherited. Hey everybody, Jessica Pfeiffer here, and welcome to the third episode of Education Suspended. Today's episode is brought to you by Canine Photography. I don't know about y'all, but when I was in high school, senior photos were a really big deal. Um, and as a parent, you know, I always remember my mom talking about, we can't spend too much, um, but she really wanted to have good quality. And this is what I love about Katie. Um, the quality is fantastic and the price is unbeatable. So if you happen to live in the Denver metro area, and I know some of you do not, so I'm sorry about this, um, but listen, you can, you can fly to Colorado when life calms down a little bit and get some great photos out here in the Rocky Mountains. Um, just let Katie know that you heard about her from Education Suspended, and she will give you 10% off on senior photos. All right, let's talk about today's guest um, that Steve, Jamie, and I interview. We talked with Stevie McBride, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he works with an educational consulting company called It's Time, which stands for Trauma-Informed Movement in Education. Now, while I do uh, recognize that our episode focuses on implementation um, specifically of trauma concepts in educational systems. This is a really applicable conversation in regards to anyone that is interested in kind of bringing something new into the system and themes of implementation that are really important to keep in mind. At the same time, I really like this conversation because um, Stevie's open and talks about kind of the role of representation as a black man working in education and what that means for him and what that means for his students. Lastly, it's just a fun conversation because Steve and Stevie um, use quite the sports analogies, which never gets old. All right, so welcome to Education Suspended uh, with Stevie McBride. All right, Stevie, thanks for joining us. It's good to see you. We're thank all, you, thank we're, you. We're all jealous that you're in the sunny state of California with, I think you said what, it's like 70 degrees? Today? Yeah, well, it's cooler today, but it's usually like around 70. We actually got up to 81. It was crazy. Oh, yeah. I can't even. I can't even. <laughs> Beach weather. Okay, can we can we stop talking about the weather now? <laughs> you know, all right. Yeah, all right. Yesterday, yesterday you could count my degrees on one finger. And I'm sure okay. I know what finger you chose to use, Steve Grainer. So uh... <laughs> Anyway, um, it was the it was the index. It was the heat index. <laughs> there, there we go. go. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> that's what I was uh, thinking. Exactly. That's where we we're all at. Uh, Stevie, let's just let's just start with having you introduce yourself. How did you become an LMFT? The work that you do now, and we always ask our guests to share um, a little bit about your own story as a student. Right? How did that influence you to where you are now? Well, let's say it started. Um, I guess, I, well, first of all, I'm Stevie McBride. I, I'm originally from Compton, California. Um, born and raised there, uh, attended all Compton schools. Um, but one thing that I saw growing up that kind of influenced my mind to get into changing the mindsets of um, Black individuals um, was I saw a lot of absentee parents, I guess, um, so a lot of uh, my peers growing up without parents, without, you know, fathers or being raised with their grandparents, there's a lot of latchkey kids. I don't know if that's an old term that's still used, but um, 
a lot of them was kind of raising themselves or using the television to raise themselves. So I wanted to change that. Um, and I think it started when I was just graduating my last year of college at Long Beach State. I decided, ah, what's my next step? I was an athlete. I was kind of washed up at the time. So I was done with <laughs> too many hamstring injuries. So track and field was, I was done. I was done. And I kind of went there and I was like counseling. And then I was thinking sports psychology. And I was like, I do have some background in sports. And then I said, let's just do an overall broad picture of counseling. And so then I started researching programs of how I want to become a therapist. And then from there on, um, I found a program that really fit my schedule. At the time, I was working full time as a teen consultant with blind teenagers. I was creating programs for blind teenagers. I did that for four years and it, it pushed me through grad school, but um, working with them, I learned to be fearless because um, them having no sight and some of the activities that we would plan for them was extraordinary. They would go rock climbing and do all these different wow. things. And it kind of led me to like, I, I want to I wanna go back and give to Compton. I want to go back and help. And so it pushed me through my master's program and I became licensed a few years after that. And here I am. That's awesome. That's a brief uh, story. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. Um, obviously, I want to go into your work because you are in schools now. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about that work were you saying with the, the Braille Institute, I think you said? Yes. So um, I worked with yeah. the Braille Institute um, for four years. Um, I started off as a youth assistant. So pretty much we would pick up kids. Um, our students from different schools all over Orange County and we would take them back to our facility and then we would do all these different programs with them so um, a few programs that I, I learned actually <laughs> during my interview I had to tell I had to describe to our, our who was our supervisor at the time his name was Thomas because he was blind as well so that was my first time I ever have a blind supervisor but I had to tell him how to tie your shoes if you were blind, how would you be descriptive? And that was a part of the interview process. And I miserably felt, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I was like, uh, you take the left string with the right string, you, you kind of twist them up. And he was like, you, you to stop. He just told me to stop, <laughs> but he hired me, which was awesome. And from there on, I actually learned how to be more descriptive with my language and how to describe things. But um, being a part of the Braille Institute was a very, very humbling experience. And yeah. it, it taught me so much. Can, can we explore that even a little further? Because I had the same question as Jessica. Like what, uh, it, no, none of us would understand your experience. So what did you learn there that you've taken forward always? Um, I think I first learned about IEPs. <laughs> that was one of the main things that I <laughs> learned awesome. about. Um, because a lot of the students wasn't getting their needs met in the school system. And it was like fighting tooth and nail for them yeah. to get things like Brailleurs, a Braille note, which is a pretty much a laptop for a blind person. Literally there's no screen, but there's all keys in Braille. Um, I actually learned grade two Braille. I went to a Braille boot camp, so I had to learn Braille. Um, I had to not necessarily blindfolded, but I can see the dots and kind of understand what that means in contractions and stuff like that. Braille was, is a whole nother language. Um, and I've actually had to be blindfolded with a cane. I had to walk 
the streets, listen to sounds, pay attention. So I learned a lot of orientation mobility. Um, and being blind, you don't know how to pick up on social cues. So you have to just be real attentive and pay attention a lot. Interesting, yeah. Um, and you have to wait for those awkward pauses. <laughs> so um, another thing I learned, uh, we did this huge fundraiser when I was at the Braille Institute called um, Dinner in the Dark. So we invited so many people from Orange County um, to participate in this event. It was like a $20 meal, but we literally ate in the dark where they had to um, know that your steak is at six o'clock, your dinner is at 11 o'clock. So they use like a clock as a plate and where everything was, how to line everything up. And that was probably one of the hugest things that we've done. Um, I've done so many other things with Braille because <laughs> Braille, Braille gave me a lifeline to like corporate. I kind of learned like the nonprofit sector through through yeah. uh, Braille Institute. So, yeah. You know, Stevie, you brought up kind of this a theme, right? Of like the needs that these students had were not really happening in education, mm -hmm. right? And so. I'm wondering from an advocacy standpoint, are there things that you, you know, skills that you picked up there, the necessity of advocating for students that you use now as a trauma consultant in schools? Like, is there kind of a parallel there? Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, because I would go into these IEPs. Uh, the first one, the very first IEP I went into, a kid was unable to get her, I think it was her English book uh, transcribed. And you have to, you know, you have to have things transcribed to actually succeed in the classroom. And I learned that if you don't, I'll, I've, I've always empowered parents, um, but I've learned that if you don't stand up and advocate for your child, things won't get done. It's good to have a, a, a support system, but at the same time as parents, you have to advocate for these type of needs. Um, and then it definitely translates over to what I'm doing now, um, especially if the parents aren't getting um, the things that they need in the classroom for their child. Um, it, it totally relates. And so um, I think what I've done as a trauma-informed consultant, I've, been, I've, I've talked to parents. It's not, it's kind of different, but I've talked to parents and let them know like um, about services more so than anything, like especially if there's mental health services that are needed and I recommend um, I definitely advocate that. Nice. All right, so let's move into that. So right now, it sounds like you are a consultant uh, with the It's Time program. Can you tell us about that program and, and what, what does that mean for you? Yes, so It's About Time is a program, trauma-informed movement and education started by my supervisor, Nathan. Um, and it's about going into these schools pretty much educating these teachers and, and administrators about trauma and trauma-informed care and how trauma affects our um, students. And I think it's a very eye-opening program for, um, for teachers to understand, especially with the demographic that we work with, to understand what is considered a trauma and the why behind the trauma. And so, um, I work closely with my principal and my school counselor a lot on educating them of what trauma can look like in these students. Stevie, what is a typical, uh, I don't know if there ever is a typical week for you, but I uh -huh. think people would be interested in kind of the nuts and bolts of your work with these schools. What is it, 
what does a typical week look like or a typical day at the school or just that's what I'm curious about. Okay, so are we talking pre-pandemic or post-pandemic? Because <laughs> the days <laughs> the days differ now so much from when I was uh, pre-pandemic. Um, well, I, I would like to know pre-pandemic first because one, one oh, of these okay. days we're going to be back. And yes, that's yes, going to matter. So I truly believe that. that. Okay, so so pre-pandemic, a typical day I'll get to school when the kids get to school. So. I'll probably get there around 7.45-ish, 8-ish. I like to greet the kids in the morning. I think it is very important that they are greeted and sent off to class. Um, and then I typically walk around um, the classrooms. So I'll, I'll go check in in the classroom, see how the students are performing, see how the teachers are doing, just wave good morning. Um, there are some mornings where I would do sit in and do morning meetings to check in with the students and things like that. Um, and then, what the teachers invented and what the uh, administration kind of invented is called uh, a Mr. Stevie pass. So with a Mr. Stevie pass, students will get that five minute brain break and come talk to Mr. Stevie for five minutes. And it wasn't necessarily a reward or something that negative happened. They just say, you know what, it's okay to take a Mr. Stevie time out, Mr. Stevie break. Here's a Mr. Stevie pass, take it and walk around. Mr. Stevie can walk you back to class. And that's kind of like the day was. And I would get literally 10, 15 kids coming in and out of my office uh, working with Mr. Stevie. Um, and I'll walk them back to class, check in with the teacher afterwards. And um, there was times that I would be out there on the playground, playing basketball with them, uh, four square, kickball, jump rope, whatever they would, you know, want to interact in. So, yeah. Hey, I, I have to ask you because I'm a fellow Steve and only my mama called me Stevie. Um, <laughs> but what I find it fascinating that they call it Mr. Stevie time and that at your name seems to be this open door, just your name. Can you, I, I want to know where you got the Stevie. Uh, it's, it's funny because um, I think my brother had, was just playing around one day. I have a brother, his name is Sean. And he was just playing around. Uh, he just called me Mr. Stevie one day. And I was like, I like that. It's, it's friendly more so than Mr. McBride. Uh, and I thought Mr. Stevie was an awesome name for kids that call me. And ever since then, I've been using it. I was like, just call him Mr. Stevie. And so it, it works. And the teachers like I know. I, I love it. It's just, it is welcoming. And I, so we'll give your brother credit. Sean, okay. good job. All right. Awesome. <laughs> Stevie, so my question, you introduced, you know, like you focus on this concept called trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and we actually, you know, that's something that I'm really interested in. I'm, I'm wondering for you how, I guess this is kind of a loaded question. How do you talk about trauma with teachers? And then you commented on like kind of the many faces that trauma has, right? Like how are mm -hmm. you teaching all the implications that come with trauma and that it's not just kind of this one specific thing? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I guess I can get into recently what I've been going over with the teachers and how I've addressed trauma because recently there's been a ex-staff member teacher who recently passed away. And so this trauma has revolved around a lot of grief and loss and grief and loss has just been a topic of pretty much the pandemic year. Yeah. Um, and 
grief and loss, of course, is just one of the many faces of trauma, but it's kind of the one that's perseverated on at this moment. So um, I've kind of been exploring that and how to address grief and loss to kids and how teachers should address grief and loss to kids, um, giving them an open window to actually express their feelings. Um, but with teachers, um, I always bring it around self-care because I always say dysregulated teachers cannot teach dysregulated students. And it's, it's, it's imperative that the teachers look for their, their own self-care and finding things that they can do to give themselves brain breaks. And so um, I've definitely been addressing it through um, them just taking brief walks um, to regulate themselves. Um, get up, do stretches. Um, I, I come into classrooms quite often, weekly. I go in most of the classrooms at the school where I'm doing these things also with the teachers and the students. But I allow the, um, the teachers to lead as well if they want to, and I'll just be in the background kind of participating. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think self-care revolves a lot around the, the trauma piece. I love that. That's one of my favorite lines. A dysregulated teacher cannot regulate a dysregulated student because we try it all the time. And it's quite yeah. entertaining, but it's just not possible. Yeah. I'm also wondering, are you seeing a difference in regards to teachers kind of conceptualization of, of maybe the impacts of trauma on learning in the midst of COVID versus pre-COVID? Um, and I guess the reason that I ask is because I think, you know, the interesting piece that's happening now that most of us have never experienced is that you have teachers in the same adverse experience side by side with their students. And so I'm wondering, are you, are you as a consultant experiencing a difference in the educational setting for how teachers are internalizing this? Yes, I think teachers feel overwhelmed. I think teachers are tired. Um, just from me being in the classrooms, I can see when I come into the classroom, the teachers smile. And it, I don't think it was ever like that before, but they get excited when Mr. Stevie comes in the classroom because they know that that's their break time and that's the student's break time. Um, I was recently, yeah, just yesterday, I was in a classroom where I did a full-on exercises with a classroom and the teacher I seen so much joy that she had from working out with the students just through zoom and I think the teachers are feeling that that heaviness that our students feel and I'm trying to explain there's a correlation these kids have to be regulated as you have to be regulated and there has to be a relationship built there um, so as you're regulating these kids, make sure that you're creating these important pathways of relationship because that connection leads to them learning more. And I'm hoping that the teachers are understanding this. So, yeah. You know, Stevie, you seem to have, and, and I think I'm about a hundred percent sure of it, build uh -huh. quality relationships with the teachers at your school. And I would like you to share some of your intentionalities around that what you know some of the how you built that because i'm not sure how they were ready to receive you at the very beginning i'm not sure but i i would like to know kind of that, that process of connecting with those teachers yeah. so now they trust you to do the things yeah. you're doing yeah that's a good question that's a good question uh, i like that steve um i'm not going to say all the teachers like me yet <laughs> but <laughs> But the majority of them, I say, I can say I have a, a pretty decent relationship with. Um, I think 
what I did, I, I approached a lot of the teachers during recess when they are recess outside with the kids and they're like, you know, watching over, but I'll walk up to them, introduce myself, tell them who I am, what I do. Um, but I let them know that I'm here for them more yeah. so than anyone. Like I want to, I want to be in your arena. Let me learn from you. And I think that created that, that pathway, that door um, for them to trust me. Like there's teachers that would come in and let me, you know, do different things in their classroom, kind of explain who I am, what I do. Um, and it helped that I look like their students. So being a black man definitely plays a role in, in the work that I do because these students, they don't have, we don't have any other male teachers. So there's no male teachers at the school. <laughs> First of all, I'm a man. Secondly, I'm a black man. So being in that 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 area and the kids see it and they want to know they're engaged and, it's, and the teachers are engaged as well. So I think it's just about building that connection, that relationship with the teachers. Yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> what, a, what a great opportunity at recess. Just <laughs> exactly. And then and, and use that time so wisely. Yeah, that's beautiful. Love it. And I, and I might have missed this, right? But the program, what's the title of the program again? The Trauma-Informed Movement in Education, right? What's, yes. what's the movement piece? What's that about? Um, well, we don't stay at one school at a certain amount of time. Okay. That's <laughs> So um, I actually got granted a, a third year at the school, which I'm really, really blessed for because our program only consists of two years and then we move on to another school and so um, we're going throughout the schools in Long Beach um, just placing me there or placing Nathan there and we're informing the teachers about trauma just as much as we can within those two years so okay awesome I wasn't sure if it was actually like you're also teaching about the benefits of movement in the classroom or it's that would be a whole nother, <laughs> another arena to jump into, but yeah. no, 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 no. I love it. Um, and I, this might be too, too personal. So you can just tell me to kind of back it up. I don't have a whiteboard to say pause. pause. <laughs> too personal. <laughs> Safe word. Um, you know, so when you're working with the teachers, are you, do you find yourself kind of reflecting back and using your own experience as a student in Compton to help these adults understand adversity as, as that process? And how do you do that, if so? Every time. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm, I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm not ashamed of where I came from. I think I hold so much pride in that, that I let teachers know, like, I was once this kid, I was, I I have a support system. I have a really good, strong support system with my mom and my dad and my siblings, but um, I know where this kid is coming from. I seen those kids. I grew up with those kids who went opposite ways of, you know, going to school and they wanted to gangbang and do all these other things. And I definitely use my personal experiences of of how I can relate to these teachers. Some of these teachers actually taught in Compton already. So they they understand, they they know, they have an idea. Um, But it's not necessarily that pointing the finger or using uh, or yelling at these kids is going to make them change their behaviors. It's about understanding why they behave this way 
and the neighborhoods that they grow up in and what they mm -hmm. see on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think uh, the teachers are comprehending that a little bit more um, when I give them an understanding of what trauma is and kind of like my background with it, so. So when you're working with them, what is, where do you see teachers pick up kind of the quickest of like, oh, well, that makes sense. And where do you get the most resistance? I get the most resistance. <laughs> I'm going to start there because I get the most resistance when um, the teachers think that these students aren't allowed to, uh, there's no rules for these students. So they automatically think just because you have to show compassion that you have to show love and, and be, you know, create these, these loving relationships with these students. They always want to think, oh, so they don't have to experience any discipline. Like these mm -hmm. kids need yeah. more discipline. That's what they need. And that's the resistance that I get. I was like, I'm not saying that there's, they don't, they're not above the rules. I'm saying that they need love and kindness. There's a way you can set boundaries with the students um, through kindness, getting on their level and letting them know what's right and wrong. But it takes for them, it takes that, that regulation piece. And that's why I always stress, I was like, they just, when they're irate, you can't get irate. Does that make sense to them? Yeah. And I was like, you guys gotta understand, you just gotta come at it, come at, it at a different angle than what you've been used to. Um, and I think it's, it's just starting to sink in a little bit more, a little bit more, um, the more I'm around them, so. And I forgot your first question, what was it? Well, what, no, that was good. So you talked about kind of the hardest piece for them to wrap their heads around, which I get mm -hmm. because I think when you're in the classroom and you've got students that are disrupting the learning environment as a teacher, that's hard. Yeah. Right. And then you have this trauma specialist. I'm using quotes, but we're a podcast, so no one can see this. Right. <laughs> this trauma specialist shows up and is like, oh, let's let's have some Stevie break time. I can I could understand how the teachers are like, oh, this this gentleman's just coming in to reward this kid, right? And so reframing of like, no, I'm just getting this kid to a place so that we can talk about the consequences. Exactly. exactly. So then, so the first question was then what, that was the, that's where you see the most resistance on the mm -hmm. opposite end. Where are you seeing teachers kind of jump in early? Like, oh yes, this part of trauma makes sense. Um, I think I see them jump in a little bit more early where, they have to create relationships. So I think the, the beginning of the school year, um, the idea that the district had set um, was to do more SEL work, uh, social emotional learning. And so it, it was awesome for the first three weeks, but then they wanted teachers to go straight into instruction. And I feel like three weeks was just not enough time to create that relationship. So um, that's when I came. <laughs> <laughs> is it frustrating? I know, yeah, I know. Yeah, I heard that so, again. I'm on the podcast. People can't see me. Like, three <laughs> weeks is nothing. Yeah, exactly. And so um, that's when I said, okay, let, let, let's set up something. So I sent out a Google document where I had teachers like say when they want Mr. Stevie to come in their classroom from like 10, five to 15 minutes. And we're going to do stretches. We're going to do riddles. We can do jokes. We can do a uh, Kahoot. We can do all these things and kind of keep that flow going because these kids' brains are stressed out because of the pandemic, because of social injustice, because so many things going on in the community. And they just want these kids and expect these kids to just learn like nothing is going on around them. And there's parents that are dealing with 
poverty and low income. They don't, they can't afford rent. It's just so many other things. And I think um, my emphasis is with the teachers is like, let's create some relationships with these kids. Let's create these relationships. And so I feel like a lot of teachers have been pretty much gun ho about wanting to build that with these students. You have any stories of, of teachers experiencing that in a new way? As far as like, you know, this positive, this, let's keep working on this positive relationship as a, as a way of framing behavior um, or helping, helping us, you know, re relationships mediate a lot of behavior problems if they can happen. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I was just wondering about how, you know, the creating that relational connection that, that frame. Yeah, um, so I there's this third grade teacher. Um, it's actually how I did my last case study on the student that I, I gave you, Edward. <laughs> We're gonna use Edward. <laughs> um, and the teacher before had so many difficulties with them, but the teacher now has formed this excellent relationship with him. And what she's done with him is, is I mean, not that she's just an awesome bubbly teacher because she's naturally good at that, but um, she speaks to him kindly. And I feel like that's all it's been like. She she says, she, I'll be in the classroom and she'll call on him to like do diff answer different questions for math, for math problems and everything like that. And I feel like her personality and her wanting to create a relationship and being intentional about it. So she'll like, if the kids are doing like independent studies, she'll take them in a, a break room um, and kind of work with him one-on-one, -on -one, giving him like that dosing experience of that intentional relationship. And I noticed a change in his behavior because I dealt with him a lot last year. So, and I see how much he has benefited from the relationship with his teacher. So, and I really like that. And she's like, I'm sorry. And she's like, oh, you're on mute, Steve. But she's like brand new to the school. And I, and she has no trauma background or anything, but she's taken to building that relationship, yeah. Yeah. which is awesome. That's awesome. Has, has it become a little contagious? For other teachers, other teachers picking up on the successes of folks who are taking a little different approach. Yes, I believe it has. Um, there's another fifth grade teacher that I've been working with. Um, I had a chance to work with her last year and she was one of the, one of the great ones. Um, but she's actually been creating more positive relationships with her students this year. Um, and she's been listening to them. She said her theme for the year is to be transparent. And so she's allowing um, the students to give feedback to certain things that are going on. She's one of the teachers that have these morning meetings and she's been allowing these kids to give um, like their feedback on things that are going on around them. And she's being, I think it's being intentional about creating these relationships. And she has been one of those teachers that I can definitely see like she's been intentional of wanting our students to succeed and not pressuring them so much with work, but allowing them to like, just be expressive. Yeah. Uh, and again, I love that you're focusing on the relational piece. When, when you, I don't know, you do like training. It sounds like you do some psychoed and training kind of in your position with these teachers. Mm -hmm. Are you kind of giving them a little bit of the science behind why relationships matter? 
Um, I do <laughs> slightly. Well, yeah. me and Nathan did our trainings whoo, about, it had to be August last year where we gave a little bit about the science about um, the brain and how it works and how important it is to look at the look at the re the regulation and the relationship and the cortex as being the reasoning part of they understand that that's the fact that the hardest part is them actually doing it <laughs> and and that's even even if they don't understand what they're doing it that what they're doing I think it's important that uh, that they at least attempt to just be kind like even if you don't Fully understand what the brain is doing to these kids or what you're doing to these students be kind yeah. try to show love and I always I like what Steve said at the last at our last meeting love wins and it does and I think if you show love to these kids in a, in a way that they haven't been shown love you can see great things happen yeah um go Grainer go ahead you have a question no, I just think there, I think for all of us, really, it's, that's the big challenge mm -hmm. is people seeing that, that love is more powerful than overpowering children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's a trick. That's, that's a hard grab for all of us. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't know if, if it, maybe that goes back to some of the resistance, you know, of folks going, wait a second, we're giving up power mm -hmm. in order and showing love for these kids when in reality we're accessing power and that's that's a hard message to yeah put out there but i i think it sounds like you've been pretty successful at making you know getting people to understand that at least fundamentally yes well i think the other thing that comes up right of if we by focusing on love right and if we think about in particular um what's coming up for me is our students of color, right? If we're, if we're shifting the script and we're trying to create environments and where there's true acceptance that they, they feel a true sense of belonging through, yeah, I guess I would say love. I, I just think it's important for teachers to understand of that might backfire for a little bit, right? You might actually get more behavior because that's scary. Mm -hmm. Our students of color do not trust this. Um, and so it, it's gonna, it's a big paradigm shift. Um, so I'm glad that you're saying that. I just think it's also like that lens we need to understand of what is the actual impact of the system. And when we're trying to flip the script, what could that look like for these kids? I don't, I don't mm -hmm. know if that makes any sense. No, it does. But I think that's where the whole idea of dosing them with love comes in as well. And I think like, it's not so much of giving them so much love at one yeah, time absolutely but it's about love here love here a pound here high five here yeah that's it yeah dosing, what, what so. you said dosing teach what does that mean so uh, <laughs> dosing um the idea that i i get from dosing is giving them bits and pieces of nice. regulation or compassion or uh love relationship um where it's not all dealt at one time so you're you're giving these things these bits and pieces to these students whether it's uh every five minutes or you're checking in on them or every yeah. 10 awesome. minutes or whenever they need it so um dosing is very very important when it comes to dealing especially with kids of color because like you yeah. said they may not be 
as warm and empathetic to receive that. And so you can't give it to them all at once. You have right. to give it to them in bits and pieces. And is, I mean, what is your interpretation? I'm just gonna assume, right, of my, my interpretation, which might be wrong, is that their tolerance for it is just smaller because this is a new, this is not their experience. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. Um, it's, it's, it, they don't know how to receive it, especially if it's never been received from anyone who they, who's put it into a position of trust, I could say. So if they've never received love from a father or a black man, it's going to be new. It's going to be novel. They're going to look at you like, what are you doing? This is not the way the, the black guys act in my neighborhood. <laughs> they always, you know, they're gang bangers. They do this, they do that, or uh, they sell drugs. So love looks different. And I think it's very important for me to show them a different type of love of coming from, especially being a black man of what love actually looks like. It doesn't look like I have to hit you for me to actually show you love. I can just give you a pound. I can give you a high five. I can uh, show you how to shoot a basket. It could be something simple as that. So, yeah. Um, go ahead, go ahead, Grady. Oh, oh, I gotta, I, I, I can't let this podcast get over without asking Stevie a track question. Cause I'm- Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a track guy, you know, we, uh, and uh, we, we, we kind of share our track experience, but what what have you learned from track? Um, that oh. I, when I, I thought you, you using the word dosing and thinking of you as a track athlete, um, how has that helped you in, in communicating this whole concept? You know, being an athlete and, and the coaching and whatever I don't know all the things you've done in track. I know you're pretty good, but <laughs> tell us about that. Um, I would say track has taught me several things, uh, not only just not to give up, but it's taught me of how to, I guess, use my body, not to overextend my body. I mean, in track, we always had this thing where it was called, um, where we would have a peak season. And so we'll have an indoor season and then our coach never wanted us to peak too early. And so I always think about maintain, maintaining so you want to maintain your body, but not overextend your body. And I'll take it as the same way as creating these relationships with kids. You don't yeah. want to give them too much. Again, about the dosing, you want to keep, you want to maintain that relationship. You don't want to just go two weeks without talking to these kids <laughs> when they're not on break. You want to continue to maintain and check in with these kids daily, weekly, however long you have to, to continue to build that relationship. I and I think track has taught yeah. me. Track has taught me that definitely. I do too. Don't yeah. don't we all just want to peak fast? <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> what everybody wants. I just want to peak. Exactly. Exactly. So the same analogy, right? You just said if you jump in too quick, you're going to pull a hammy, right? If yep. you jump in and kind of push past their comfort zone, you're going to end up probably doing more damage than good in the long run. Yeah. Yep. Let's just do sports analogies for the rest of. I mean, <laughs> let's not do that, but I love it. And both of us have hamburger hamstrings, so let's not talk about hamstrings anymore. It just hurts. It just hurts. Oh, when no. talk about it. it does. It does. Um, so, Stevie, you were talking about right your experience at the at the Braille Institute in regards to kind of seeing these students and their needs not being met adequately. Mm -hmm. I want to take that 
same theme and now shift into your trauma lens. Mm -hmm. Where do you see the system dropping the ball the most in regards to meeting the needs of students who have experienced trauma and are coming to our public schools? Um, I think it starts district level where I'm seeing the ball is dropping, especially in the times that we are in now that there's not enough focus on our and teachers having a trauma lens. Although I can say um, my principal is trying to pick up that ball and we're talking a lot about restorative justice practices on top of uh, mm -hmm. more SEL work and, um, and my trauma-informed care stuff. So, um, but as far as a district, I don't know what these other Long Beach schools are getting outside the one Nathan is at, he's at a high school at Lakewood, but um, these schools I kind of worry about um, because there's not, there's not an emphasis on cultivating that, that trauma lens with our teachers and our principals. And um, I, I, I want, I wish I could be at every school. <laughs> I wish it was possible where I can go around and kind of let them know of what it means to create relationships with these kids and what it looks like. Right. Um, but I think district level, we have to do better. We definitely have to do better. From an individual student level, where are you seeing their needs not being met? Individual students? Um, I guess I can say, Students are not being met individually. Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> because, um, well, because I'm only looking at the students that I work with and I can see me like giving, giving relationship, giving that, that, that regulation. But um, I don't think there's enough positivity um, or that trauma lens given to our teachers. So our teachers aren't able to, to give our students what they need, um, I guess, outside of mental health needs wise, outside of just the educational piece. And I feel like our students are falling off because their needs aren't being met where they are as far as in the areas that they are surrounded in. So I can depict, I can see like a kid who's, in a neighborhood where it's tough, uh, growing up, rent, paycheck, parent living paycheck to paycheck, and it's difficult. And they have to go to these Long Beach schools with these teachers who don't have that trauma lens or understanding. So the idea of creating a relationship doesn't stick out in their mind. And then our students are, are falling off because they have other needs that need to be met. And they don't want to do schoolwork. They want to be the class clown. They want to do other things outside. They're ditching class because there's so much other needs going on in their lives that's not being addressed and the teachers aren't picking up on that. And so I think that's kind of where the students individually need, need some more assistance. Can I jump yeah. in and ask a question? Jamie's speaking, hey. everyone. Hey. Here we go, Jamie, take it away. <laughs> Awesome. Um, I have been thinking about the common themes and maybe some misconceptions about what it means to have a trauma lens. And so there may be some educators, people working in the schools that are like, well, if I look for trauma, I'm going to find it. And then what am I supposed to do with all of these, all this trauma? Or uh, how do I get buy-in from my administration to be trauma-informed? And so just kind of touching on that, what would you say 
to that trauma-informed lens and getting buy-in or seeking or looking for trauma? Um, so if it was a, so I just want to get this right. So if it was a teacher wanting to speak to administration about having this trauma lens and what do I do with a student that has all these traumas? Mm -hmm. um, I think the first thing you do is just sit down with your, your principal, your administrator, your school counselor, and talk about some of the behaviors that they're seeing in these students. And it doesn't add up um, in you noticing that a behavior plan doesn't work, suspensions don't, don't work, none of these other disciplinary tools work. It has to be a deeper meaning. What's the why behind the behaviors? Because obviously we're trying to fix the behaviors with all these disciplinary actions and ain't none of it working, ain't nothing working. So I, I would definitely suggest that for that teacher to tell that principal there's a deeper meaning. And then that's when you can open up that door to trauma-informed care. Okay, we tried everything else in the book. What does trauma-informed care look like? It looks like regulation. It looks like relationship. It looks like reason. That is how you reach out to these kids who have been through every other option that has been put in front of them. And I think that's that's the key to opening up that door. Letting I, your yeah, I think that's incredible because I think sometimes we go in with the notion that we have to know that there's trauma in order to treat it or mm -hmm. in order to have that intervention or that relationship. And, and taking that broad approach of let's just regulate all of our students. Let's just have relationships with all of our students. Mm -hmm. we're, we're doing this approach at like a universal level and we're not mm -hmm. just targeting the students that mm -hmm. we know have trauma. Yeah, exactly. That, that is a crucial observation, Jamie. That, that means a lot. And I, and I think from the very beginning of my experience as a teacher is what we tried to do as well. It's, it's let's do what's good for all kids. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And in doing that, we will address some of the trauma needs. Now, I'm sure, Stevie, you have some specific kids you're working with, too, that in, in a deeper way. And that's how do you balance those two things? What Jamie said, the universal approach, which I absolutely believe in. Mm -hmm. And also, but then you have the specific one-to-one -one with some kids. Um, so, you know, you've got a little balancing act there. Yeah. Um, I... <sighs> My, my, I guess my goal is never to feel like any one kid is being neglected, but then there's always that idea like, okay, this kid needs a little bit more dosing than other kids. And I'm perfectly fine with that because I, I think I, I, I'm going to schedule my time appropriately, especially when teachers come to me saying that, Mr. Stevie, if you can talk to this kid a couple more minutes, I'm definitely open to that. Um, but universal, when I'm looking at that, I go into the classroom, I do the same uh, activities with all of the kids, so nobody feels picked on or left out, um, or the riddles, my stretches, my workouts, whatever we're doing with the kiddos. And then um, if a kid wants to talk to me, they can private message me through Zoom and say, Mr. Stevie, again, I just have a couple of minutes, I just want to talk. And then that's perfectly fine too. I give my, I make myself available, but it's, I'm not, it's not nothing that needs to be broadcasted because um, everybody's going to get the same treatment from Mr. Stevie. So I'll balance the time. Yeah, that seems crucial. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and when I, when you're talking, there's things coming up for me and from a from a systemic perspective. Um, and we've talked about this on this podcast before, right? Of just kind of these catchphrases, trauma-informed being one of them of like, oh, a school will have a, a three-hour training and all of a sudden they're now like saying, oh, we're a trauma-informed school, <laughs> right? Um, but what's coming through is your approach, Stevie. Like you be, it, the first and foremost, you become part of the system. And mm-hmm. when I think about when I jumped into the trauma world and education, the success came when I was one of them. Right. Yep. I wasn't, I wasn't coming and telling them what to do. I was modeling and building re- the relationships with the adults and you do that. Exactly. Right? And you also come from, and Jamie brought this up, but you come from this universal lens. Mm-hmm. If we can shift the whole system, we can make education better for all kids, including those that had adversity. Right. But yeah. you're not coming in and like, Oh, let's just focus on tier two and tier three. Right. It's, it's for everybody. And then the, the last piece, sorry, I'm doing a lot of talking. The last piece that's that's the, the biggest component. It's just the time frame of your relationship with these buildings, right? So you're in these buildings for two to three years. Yes. And um, that from a systems lens, when we when we think about a system shifting, two to three years is like actually not that long of a time when we're trying mm-hmm. to have a paradigm shift. And so it seems like you're doing and having these um, ingredients to making systemic change. You're doing that. Yes. And that's why I think um, most of the work I feel like I do starts with the principal because the principal most likely and the school counselor, I can't leave her out. She's awesome as well, <laughs> but it comes from me working both with them of having them, have that trauma lens more so, I guess, I don't want the teachers to have it, but it's very important that it comes top down so that that way when I leave or I take off, they can still reach out to me, but that they can carry the lens without a Mr. Stevie there. And I think I that's it. and that's very important that our, our, my principal and my counselor understands that lens more so than the teachers. I, I would like, you know, from a systems perspective, share a little bit, your, your agency is kind of unique in the way they work with public schools. Um, and maybe it'd be worth just hearing briefly about that. Um, how, did, how did it work out that they, they funded your training and now, you know, have placed you in, in the public schools? Oh, so it started out, I want to say five years ago, where Nathan had the idea of wanting to take everything he gained and learned um, from Dr. Bruce Perry and put it out there to the Long Beach school system. He was a school-based therapist. Um, I was LBOP, which is Long Beach Outpatient. So I worked all over Long Beach schools. And so I had an idea of, you know, that having that relationship with the teachers. Um, But the idea when Nathan decided to take this training, I mean, our beloved CEO, Trisha Costales, she actually jumped behind Nathan. And then Nathan saw me uh, recently licensed and wanted to get me on board. And um, they decided to, they wanted to, you know, fund the program, his idea. And I think it's been beneficial um, that Nathan has been going around to these different schools and starting wherever he can, anybody who wanted to learn about the trauma lens. Um, And definitely the district, um, Dr. Tiffany Brown, 
who's uh, one of the higher ups in the district level, um, definitely got behind Nathan as well. And he had a great relationship with her and they thought this would be a beneficial program for our teachers and admin to, to start gaining information from, so. So, you know, I, I marvel at the agency's commitment to, to do that for the schools. Are the, do you see the schools in the future picking it up a little bit and uh, making a, even a financial commitment to continuing the work that you and Nathan are doing? Uh, I don't know about a financial commitment yet because <laughs> I don't I, I don't know the district's budget and what they actually yeah, have. No. Um, but the guidance center wants to keep the program going. They're actually thinking of how we can continue it on a nationwide basis. So they're thinking of um, how we can take our advanced training or once I, I'm into the advanced training and Nathan's completed his advanced training and how we could continue this maybe throughout Southern California to Northern California to um, other states um, on the West Coast and East Coast. So they want to build on um, this, this program that we have. Hey, Stevie, for you coming from that clinical lens, obviously now being rooted in education, what, what's been the biggest learning curve for you? Um, <laughs> the biggest learning curve is probably how much these teachers have to get in their full day with teaching these students. I think that's been my biggest learning curve because I had no idea, I was oblivious to it. And me coming from a, a clinician standpoint, cause I was always just going into different schools and I was like, I wanna speak with the teacher. And I think the teacher always got time to speak to me. It's never, that's never the case. I like, oh, I need a signature from the teacher for this certain document or um, I just, you know, I need to talk to the principal. People are busy at an elementary school, at high school, these teachers. And I think it was strategizing and understanding their time and how valuable it is. And I think I, that was the biggest learning curve. Like, oh, you guys are busy around the clock. And so, yeah. And to have sometimes those problem students, ugh, it's even more of a struggle. So. Yeah. Right, which kind of emphasizes the fact that you building relationships with those teachers and dosing your your knowledge and, and help appropriately doesn't overwhelm them. I, I mean, I come from that teacher side of it, and mm -hmm. I know you, there's a lot of days you don't want to hear anything new. Uh, <laughs> you want nothing, nothing, nothing to do with it. You just mm -hmm. look at those people and say, you don't live my life, my <laughs> friends. So, and yet... I think you've managed to do that through through the relationships that you built with with those folks, and that's the kind of thing teachers love. I work around their time, honestly, and you know I I, I try to plug myself in where I can. I try to I I try to keep a time limit, especially when I'm going into their classrooms. I, I make sure I do not go over time, and I make sure I'm there on time because I understand the value of time when you have to teach a classroom for the kids and they're, and you know, parents are right there watching sometimes and they have to get things completed. So um, yeah, I'm very mindful of that part. Okay, well, I know we're, I'm kind of tracking us on time here, but I do want to ask one more thing that you just brought up that we haven't hit on is we're really focusing system heavy for the, the school, right? 
do you have aspects of, of working with the parents as well and kind of bringing them into the process? Um, I would love to, because I think that's where more, yeah. more of the need is. Yeah. Um, because yes, you're at school for a certain amount of time, but what happens when you go home? What does it look like? What does trauma look like when you go home? And what are these things that you're experiencing when you go home? So I definitely would love to get more time in. Um, me and the school counselor have been talking about uh, creating a parents group um, and then also doing bringing in another agency pathways to talk about grief and loss with the parents. So we're definitely trying to find ways to, to draw in the parents more because some of these parents are they're, they're stuck in their own trauma still. And I think that if they have some education of what trauma is, um, I definitely want to bring them in and let them know like what we're doing with their kids and what they can take home with their kids. I think all of it, it goes together. You need a, a whole village, an entire village, and that includes yeah. the parents. So I love it. Definitely. That was, I love it. Focus, that was your focus yeah. from the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> yes, your, exactly. Your, your mission from the start. Exactly. Well, Stevie, it's been so fun talking to you. Um, Steve and Stevie, that, that'll be a new podcast. Welcome to the Steve and Stevie show. <laughs> <laughs> when it's, it's nothing but sports analogies, right? I think we're on to something here. I think we're on to something here. I think we can um, do that. I think we yeah. can pull that up. Most definitely. It's fantastic. Oh, Jessica's a soccer player. She'll be right with us. She'd be right okay. Nice. Yeah. I was thinking that it's we got we got track, we've got soccer, and and Jamie also played college basketball. So oh, we're, we're, we're covered here. Nice. <laughs> um, but thank you. I know you are busy. We appreciate your time. Um, and I guess most importantly, thank you for the work that you're doing right in in the education system and shifting it to to better meet the needs of these kids and kind of evolve our system. It, it, it's awesome. You're doing you're doing great work. Thank you. Truly appreciate you guys. He Thank is, you for having he me. Yes, he is. Oh, Absolutely. Thanks for being with us, buddy.